we finally got you. You're never going to get out of here. You're never going to see the people you love. And we're back, Mike Cernovich. Cernovich.com. If you're listening to this anywhere that isn't Rockfin, go to R-O-K-F-I-N.com forward slash Cernovich. Be sure to listen to all of the back episodes of the podcast exclusively at rockfin.com forward slash Cernovich. Talk a little bit about plant medicine, ayahuasca, my experience with the medicine. But before we do, I want to address some misconceptions and also some ground rules, maybe even what you would call personal advice. Whenever I mention my experience with plant medicine, I change the dates, obviously. Um, People often ask me, where to do ayahuasca or who to do it with and I would just say that you should think about boundaries and ask if that's an appropriate question to ask me on the internet right think just think think through that for a minute right think through that one for a minute that's maybe some emotional work you need to do with yourself before you do the spiritual work but just keep some of those things in mind and again dates and names have been changed to protect the innocent. Anyhow, I got into um, ayahuasca or thought about ayahuasca for the first time when I would watch a podcast called London Real. And we're going to talk about, we're going to meander a little bit because it comes full circle. And I think that that's, whether it's a coincidence or synchronicity or the universe, a law of attraction, I don't really know. But I like stories that have a nice full circle effect to them. I was incapacitated in bed. 2011, I had gone off of what are called topical corticosteroids and prednisone, cold turkey, due to a skin condition called red skin syndrome, which was made worse by these prescriptions that I was given to me for my doctor. I was literally bedridden for about four weeks, and then my skin was in a horrific state for about four years. We can do a whole other podcast on that some other time. Anyhow, I'm here. I'm laying around, I'm basically bedridden, and I was watching a podcast then called London Real with two people, Brian Rose and Nick Gabriel. Nick Gabriel had just returned from an ayahuasca experience, and he talked about, he has a a Greek name, Nick, it's like Nick Gregorius or something, I'm butchering it, but he has a Greek name, he's from South Africa, an interesting guy, I've done his podcast, A Liberation Mentor, you should watch that, listen to that. So I'm thinking, man, this ayahuasca stuff sounds pretty cool. I'd like to try that sometime. But who knows? How do you even, uh, you know, at the time I had no idea about ayahuasca, where you would even go, what it even meant. I just heard Nick's experience and thought this would be an interesting experience to have. So then a little bit later, I had an opportunity to do 5-MeO-DMT. Some people call it the toad. 5-MeO-DMT is different from um DMT, completely different, a different experience, but I had the opportunity to try that, and I took my, when you do it, there's various ways that you take the medicine, and in the case of 5-MeO-DMT, you smoke a powder that either comes from the venom of a toad or is synthetically manufactured in a laboratory. So I took a hit, and before you do it, it's hard to fully appreciate how quickly things turn. The way you would trip typically do 5-MeO-DMT is you sit down on a mat and you blast off. You 
taking a huge, it's kind of like a bong device, a vaporizer bong thing. I don't know, I don't smoke marijuana, but if you've ever done marijuana, it would probably be something like a vaporizer or a bong. And you, you take that hit, you're gone. 10 seconds later, blast off. You fall completely into the mat you're on. If you do a circle, you'll you'll understand all of this. There's a lot of safety precautions you have to take. Boom, I was down. Start to see sacred geometry, which a lot of people often don't see on the toad, and felt like my body, or rather my spirit or my soul, was being ripped away from my body. You ever done done like say a roller coaster? Maybe you took a ride as a kid where you're taken back or maybe even just driving a, a Porsche or something and you feel the g-forces almost that's what it felt like g-forces ripping my soul from my body I started to see the sacred geometry and then I said oh my god I'm dying I don't want to die and I fought like hell and got myself out of the situation and they said, you want another hit? Do you want another hit? And I said, no, man, I don't. They said, come on, you just got to gotta do it, man. You got to go through the experience. And I didn't do it. I slowly came to being. And then I was. I felt completely connected to all of the people I remember going in. If you, if you know me, if you listen to my podcast, if you know much about me and my psychology, you know that I'm a very judgmental person. I'm judgmental of myself. I'm certainly more harsh on myself. If anybody ever thinks I'm a little short with them, then you should realize how I hold myself account and the standards that I hold myself to. I go in and, you know, you when you're in the plant medicine circle, you just, they're not really my vibe, right? It's not usually my people. It's not usually my tribe. And you can interpret that however you want to do it. But all I remember is going in, I thought, dude, I hate these people. These people are freaking losers. You know, what am I doing? here with these people. I don't want to be around these people. What a bunch of weirdos. And then even after my mini experience or my mini journey on 5-MeO-DMT, I felt I love these people. I hope they're all right. I hope these people have enough money. Is everyone good? I felt this weird love for everyone who an hour earlier I viewed with the kind of contempt as people who weren't hitting life hard and weren't really serious about life. And in the end, ultimately, that was some of the messages that I took from that. Because with plant medicine, you always take a message. Good or bad, you learn. And you do return. Good or bad, you learn. And I learned from that 5-MeO-DMT that I was much more afraid of dying than I thought I was. I, at the time, would have told you, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm single. I don't have any kind of responsibilities or obligations. I'm just going out, making money, fornicating who cares, man? It's just a ride. And I learned, no, you were lying to yourself. And that's what the plant medicine teaches you. You are lying to yourself. Everyone listening right now, you are lying to yourself. I promise you that you are lying to yourself in a good way, in a bad way. But you are telling yourself stories that hold you back because they're not true. But you're also telling yourself stories about your behavior that puts you in a much better light maybe than you deserve or maybe then is warranted and then I learned too that I had so much love for people and that it's judgment that separates us from love judgment is what prevents us from loving people after that experience did I become some kumbaya guy nope Uh, 10 years on plant medicine if you listen to me you know that I'm not some kumbaya guy 
but I do show love in my own way, in a different way, but not in the stereotypical way. And I think that's another point that has lost on a lot of people is when you hear ayahuasca, when you hear about 5-MeO-DMT, when you hear about psilocybin, when you hear about these very powerful plant medicines, you assume that you're going to be wearing tie-dye and be some weirdo hippie who doesn't care about life. Hey, man. Yo, what's up, dude? Yeah, all about no ego, dude. All about not having the ego, man. I've been doing plant medicine work for 10 years. I don't think anybody <laughs> thinks that that's me. And what I've, I found interesting is that because media people always write about me. And I remember there was a couple articles where they said Cernovich has lost his mind. He started doing plant. Well, they don't call it plant medicine. They call it psychedelics. I call it plant medicine. And they were all these articles. He's losing his mind. He's doing psychedelics. He's breaking. And I thought, wow, I so counteract or contradict the stereotype of plant medicine that you don't realize I've been doing this work for 10 years, maybe longer. I'm losing track of time at this point. As you get older, the years become decades. Wait, what What year did I first do this? When? How long ago was that? That's why, friends, you never talk to the feds without a lawyer because I don't even know. I couldn't even tell you a date from years ago, let alone a month ago. We digress, though. But I thought that was funny that they assumed that I just started doing plant medicine because people think that you do plant medicine and you become someone who doesn't care about life and has become checked out of life. But the truth is that plant medicine brings more out of you. It makes you more of who you are. It makes you stronger in every sense of the word. Yes, it does make you love more. And that's one of the great benefits of the medicine. We'll talk about that a little bit, but let's wrap up that story we talked about about Nick Gabriel and London Real. 11 years ago, whatever, 10 years ago, watching London Real, bedridden, see this guy who's so charismatic, has such a good vibe, and I thought, I want to do ayahuasca sometime, man. Five years later, six years later, I was in the jungle doing ayahuasca with Nick. <laughs> How? You, I mean, you tell me, synchronicity, I didn't reach out to him and ask him to do ayahuasca. It wasn't anything like that. That's life, my friends, that synchronicity. It was kind of a wild thing to, to, to take that full circle. And from there, I did some tea, Ecuadorian brew. I went under a little bit. But again, the fear, the fear really hold me back. What I've learned about the plant medicine... And this may come as a surprise to a lot of people as I have a lot of fear in my heart, much less so than usual, but I have a lot of fear. And I think that comes from childhood trauma. Because if you think about my life arc, if you just look at me now, you would say that this is a larger than average guy. I've done combat sports. I can more than handle myself. Ex-military, I know how to, you know, I'm, I'm what you would call prototypical red meat, all-American corn-fed white boy, right? Not to use too much racial stereotyping, but if you would just say, show me some hick from the Midwest or the South. Yeah, he probably knows how to change a tire, shoot a gun, probably been in a few fights kind of deal. And that's true, but that's not where I started off. I started off asthmatic as a child. I started off being bullied as a kid. I started off having to to fight people that I didn't even want to fight. My number just came up. So I, my life was primarily fear-based upbringing. We were always poor. And because I had a 
higher level of awareness as a kid. So for example, and I'm sure this is true of a lot of you listening, people would say when I was a little kid, dude, you're like talking to an adult. I didn't ask little kid questions. I didn't believe little kid things. I didn't play with toys the way other kids did. I didn't understand how people could play with toys. None of it made sense. I was an old soul. So I knew we were poor. I knew we had food insecurity. I knew we had money insecurity. I knew when my dad lost my job. I empathized with how that must have felt like. My mom was bipolar. I knew how she felt. I felt everything. And because you're a child and you have no power, how does that manifest itself? Well, for me, it manifested itself in in primarily a fear-based upbringing, a scarcity-based upbringing. It took a lot of work. A lot of guidance, a lot of great gifts from people who I met along the way who helped me get where I am. I'm not self, self-made. self I Have you ever heard me call myself self-made? Maybe if I were trolling in a douchebag way, I would say that. But I'm the opposite of self-made. I'm someone who had, fortunately, a dad who was weak in some areas but encouraged me to train martial arts. And the martial arts instructors, I, I'm so blessed by all the people that you meet along the way which reminds me of a ayahuasca journey I took. And it's hard to explain this until you've been there, but the way I would put ayahuasca is that there's like a reveal. And here's what I mean by that. Have you ever watched a movie two hours in? Think about The Usual Suspects. There you go. If you haven't watched Usual Usual Suspects, I'm not going to spoil it for you. I assume most of you have. Or a film like that. You're watching the film. You're in the scene. You're seeing action. You're Everything is happening. And then at the very end, one moment hits you and you go, whoa, mind blown. Holy shit, what just happened? And then everything you have watched has now been contextualized in a brand new way. You get a big reveal. Well, when you're doing plant medicine like ayahuasca, that's called a download from the universe is what people say. You're in a moment observing things. And then there's a crystallizing moment where... Truth hits a singularity at wherever it hits your heart, your mind, your soul, your pineal gland. I don't know, man. All I know is the more ayahuasca you do, the more you become humble as to the limits of human knowledge. And in one journey, in one journey, it was it was a heart journey. Sometimes you go through mind, spirit. Sometimes you go through heart. In this case, it was a heart journey and... It showed me all of the faces who had been there with me throughout my entire life. Childhood friends, people that I had been a friend to. It was almost a tree of faces in a way. All of the faces appeared as it was showing me things in my life. So the way that crystallized was it showed me my life, stuff that I had forgotten. Childhood memories, adult memories, teenage memories. And I'm as you're observing it, you're thinking, okay, I'm observing this. You don't really know why you're being shown that necessarily. And then... It showed me the faces of all the people in my life and the message from the universe. And when I say a message, it's often explicit. It will be your inner voice or a voice of some entity, a voice of something else. People can debate whether that's your psychology, whether it's a spirit. I don't care. I'm not interested in any kind of debates at this point in my life. And it showed me all the faces and said, these are all the faces who made you who you are. Such a heavy moment because you realize, do we have enough gratitude for the people who made us who we are? Do we want to think we're all self-made. We're all, you know, we did this Hero Journeys podcast a couple days ago that I'm really glad you all enjoyed. But we think we're the only person on the journey. 
And yes, yes, you do have to drive the journey. But think about the people who had been there with you along the way, the people who had maybe even mistreated you and what you learned from that and the people who had helped you and do you show your gratitude? A lot of times we don't want to think about the people who helped us because we feel like that diminishes us, right? Isn't that a weird thing where if somebody's been rude to you, you are mean to you or maybe traumatize you, you think to yourself, that made me a stronger person and you want to almost give that person more credit. You give abusers more credit than you do helpers because with helpers, you're thinking, I'm not the center of the story now. This person helped me. Oh, there goes my self-made man narrative. Hope I can't just say I did it all myself because this person helped me. Whereas if someone traumatized you, you can say, I fought that person and won. I fought that situation and won. I'm the center of the story. I overcame it. Well, what about the people who helped you? Do you think about them enough? Why do you feel like it diminishes you when others have helped you along the way, when that's nourished you? And are you nourishing other people? And are you becoming a face for other people? And that's what the medicine was telling me as it showed me the faces. It said, "You're all these faces are who you are. And then it told me to worry about the face that I'm showing. Because what I've learned from the plant medicine, oh, well, I mean, <laughs> so much is what I've learned because every time you do an experience, you it's almost like there's a theme. It's very strange. There, I remember I talked to someone, um, uh, David Sutcliffe is his name. I don't think he'll mind that because he's talked about this stuff kind of openly. He's retweeted me. He even got in trouble one time for retweeting me because apparently he was a, a big-time star and you're not allowed to retweet me ever because I'm an evil person, right? But he's retweeted me, so I don't feel like I'm divulging anything that he hasn't said publicly and I remember when he mentioned how many times he'd done ayahuasca I thought why would you need to do ayahuasca you know 10 times or 20 times or 50 times what why would you one time is enough for me man maybe twice but when you go under there's always a new theme and you learn something new every time for me the first time I really went under deep and that wasn't with Nick that was a different time when I went with Nick, I drank a lot of tea, don't get me wrong, but I didn't go under. <laughs> and what I mean by going under is the timeline of ayahuasca is a strange one because usually you meet up, you circle up around um, before it gets dark. I forget if, I figure that's dusk or dawn. A little, I didn't take my nootropics this morning, so I'm a little bit slow in the mind, the mental uptake, and whatever the case is, before it's about to get dark. You circle up, you drink the tea, and then you're just there. You're just sitting there. <laughs> you know, life is what it is. And then you're gone. You go under. And when you go under, all the magic happens, of course. And then when you come up, it's as if nothing happened. That's the most bizarre thing is, you know, one time I, I went under about 7.30 p.m. 1.30 a.m. I come up and... You're not hung over. It isn't like you're drunk. There's no buzz. There's no after effect. You're just thinking, holy shit, I was just in my mind, hell, heaven, the Milky Way, an asteroid underneath the ocean. I was just gone, man. How in the hell am I just back? I'm just back. What? What is this? And you, you know, you go to bed, you wake up, you can just live your life. It's, it's such a bizarre it's such a bizarre experience because normally with any kind of intoxicant you drink, 
there's there's a usually right like a come down and then a little hungover maybe if it's mdma or something you have a, a dopamine reaction or a serotonin reaction you feel a little bummed out the, the next couple of days but with the medicine you're just you're just back okay i'm back but when you're in the medicine even though it's quote unquote only six to eight hours time has no meaning uh, lord of the rings was a popular film and there's a scene where gandalf the gray goes away and comes off as gandalf the white because he was in some strange space-time continuum where one year wasn't a year it was more like a thousand years but that's ayahuasca <laughs> that's ayahuasca uh, J.R.R. tolkien had a intuitive understanding of plant medicine when you go under you're gone and you don't have any idea what time it is on the clock 20 minutes feels like 200 hours 200 years it doesn't have any there's no relationship to to time and there's no relationship to space because you're you're gone blast it off again people debate whether that's strictly psycho psychological people debate whether that's spiritual I don't have any interest in any of that stuff. All I know is you're gone. You're under. And when you're under, there there are different themes. So like I said, one time I went under fully, fully deeply under. I went into hell and it was terrifying. I was visited by, and it was weird because it was like little voices you can hear, like little whispers. And it was very, it was like evil elves. People talk about DMT and machine elves. I never saw machine elves. The machine elf stuff, I don't have any idea about. But there was something that you would think of as elven from Lord of the Rings. That archetype of elven is magical. There was some kind of magical, mischievous entity whispering in my ear that we, you know, we trapped you now. We trapped you. You're trapped now. We finally got you. We waited your whole life to get you and we finally got you. That friend who told you about this was in on it. We've been plotting against you your whole life. We finally got you. And I believed in all sincerity that I was trapped. Wherever I was, I was never going to get out of. There was no escape and that I had just been trapped. I don't know how to tell you what would it be like to be buried alive, to feel like you're just in a coffin buried underground and then they say hey you're underground try to open up the coffin and you can't that level of despair that level of hopelessness that level of claustrophobia is what i felt because i was caught in some kind of spiritual realm and i was never going to get away and the entity was very pleased with itself that they call them tricksters there are all kinds of archetypes that you encounter and the beauty of it is i had not read i had not done the the homework of ayahuasca in a way if you've never done ayahuasca and you're listening to this it's it could bias your experience because maybe you'll see what i saw because you heard what i heard and there's a suggestion there when i went under i had no idea about elves right i just know people would say like machine elves occasionally when i would mention ayahuasca and i thought oh so you've never actually done ayahuasca okay right there's a joke how to tell that you've never done something without telling them you've never done something. If you mention oh machine elves, you don't know anything. All right, you have no you have no idea. I saw, and I saw this vividly, which again I had never read this, didn't know what this was, until years after this experience. I saw a woman's head in a mountain. It was a bright reddish orange mountain, and there's this woman screaming out. 
screaming out. It was an older woman screaming. I felt her power and I felt her wrath and her rage. And I thought, what is this woman's face in the mountain? No idea. And then a couple years later, I was listening to some Journey music. And I kept hearing Pachamama. And I was like, what is Pachamama? And I Googled it. Google image. What the hell? What the hell? What the hell is that? That's what I saw. So how is it that I saw Pachamama? But I had no idea. I'd never studied the, the Aztecs or the Mayans. I'd never heard of Pachamama. I would hear people sing to Pachamama in songs. I had no idea what that even meant afterwards because I wasn't listening to this kind of music beforehand. So I, I was encountered by kind of a trickster, mischievous, magical being. Could be elven. Uh, saw Pachamama screaming with rage. And that experience was, you know, teaching me about women, the feminine. It made me into a woman at one point. It made it like I was giving birth and having to watch children die as we were being raided by war parties. It was very, very, very terrifying, by the way. I probably don't sound terrified just because it's a little bit far removed and I've had time to process and actualize it. But I felt like we were intense. There was genocides happening and everybody's been killed. You come back from that, and that's what we talk about integration. The experience of ayahuasca is the experience. The integration, and this is where if you've done the mindset work, the emotional work, your integration will be much more intuitive. The integration is understanding what did I see? Why did I see that? What was the universe or what was I trying to teach myself? in that moment, through that revelation. And what that was teaching me is because I'm a masculine guy or so I like to think or so other people like to think, that was teaching me about the feminine energy, the the feminine rage, the feminine anguish, how you know, women are victimized. That's what it was. It was teaching me love for the feminine in a way maybe that I didn't appreciate. It was showing me that side, but in a way that was very... Well, very protective and aggressive. If you have children, you'll you'll see because because women manifest violence in a different way. We don't ever think of women as violent. We think that men are violent. This is how we're we're uh, cultured, right? This is how we're trained. Is that you know men are violent, women are the better half, the better sex, the fairer sex, and they're such peaceful creatures. Of course, no one who has dated a lot of women believes that, but. That's what people are taught. That's what's enculturated in people. But when you have kids, you can see a very, you see the, I don't know if the dark side is the right answer, but you see a very protective, very aggressive, very powerful energy and women, but women, they do it more indirectly, right? With a man, two guys have a problem, they fight. With a woman, she has a problem with someone. She's working levers in a different kind of way. It isn't that the men are more peaceful or more violent or that women are more violent. It's that this violence manifests itself in a different sort of way. And if you ever, you know, women and their children, if you ever see a woman protect her child, I would, she would protect her child probably more than, than a father ever would. So that was what Pachamama was showing me. And then, of course, people say, well, Pachamama, people sacrificed, blah, blah, blah. And my answer to all that is, if you think that ayahuasca is Christian, not Christian, godly, ungodly, you don't really understand the point of ayahuasca. Just like plant, I do. I have extensive experience with plant medicine, 
And I don't wear tie-dye clothes. I don't walk around going, hey, man, I'm some woke spiritual dude. I want to wear that like everybody goes to Thailand and they wear that like Thailand clothing. You know what I mean if you've ever been there or seen it. I don't wear hippie clothing. I don't go to Burning Man. I don't wear tribal clothes. I think it's weird. I think people wear those little leather holsters on their shoulders. I think those people are weird. And I, But that's the point. The point is that's not my tribe. People who look like that, not my tribe. My tribe, gem bros, people who are hitting it, people who are getting out of life, people who are training hard, people who are trying to make the most out of this realm, this world. Ayahuasca doesn't tell you you can't do that. Ayahuasca doesn't tell you to be, well, it tells you to love. It certainly tells you to love, but that doesn't mean everyone who does ayahuasca is going to feel more love. I certainly have. I've certainly felt more gratitude. I've certainly improved as a person in many ways, but I'm not even close to perfect. Now, ayahuasca is a, you're like a white belt all over again. I would say in life, I'm a black belt. By that, I mean, you know, like Brazilian jiu-jitsu, martial art where you've trained 10 years on them. I'm not a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. I'm saying as a metaphor, let's say you to get a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, you're doing 10 years of real training regularly. You don't show up for 10 years once a week and get a black belt. You're on the mat. That's thousands, if not tens of thousands of hours on the mat. In life, I'm a multi-degree black belt. You got a problem, I've been there. I've done reporting. Member of Congress resigns due to sexual harassment because of me. Jeffrey Epstein files unsealed because of me. Films, boom. Books, boom. I've had mentored people through all kinds of successes and through dark points in the life. You want to talk to me about life, black belt. You want to talk about, to me about plant medicine, white belt, beginner. And the I, I don't think that 10 years from now, I'll tell you that I'm a black belt because every time you go into the spiritual realm, you are reminded of simultaneously the paradox. You become very confident, very comfortable with paradoxes of you are significant and insignificant. Well, how can you be both? If you've been, you've been. You can you understand that you're significant, that you've been given a beautiful gift of life. Gratitude, love, the ability to experience this world, the ability to, again, love. We keep coming back to love, and there's a reason people keep coming back to love. Because love is what matters more than any other feeling in the world. That's the significance of your life. But in the significance of the medicine the universe, the universe of the mind, the universe of the collective consciousness, even the entities that you encounter, weird, you're not even a white belt. You're a single cell amoeba on a slide somewhere. But that doesn't mean your life doesn't matter. In a way, it probably gives my life more meaning and more beauty because I take myself much less seriously than I used to, where... Before, maybe stuff that would, would get to me a little bit. I'm like, okay, I've been attacked by entities and you're just some idiot writing a mean article about me or saying something mean to me or calling me names on the internet. I'm not even in that realm anymore. It just doesn't even impact me anymore. So that that is a gift to take yourself, to take yourself less seriously. That's where when people talk about ego, that term gets spun up a lot. But fundamentally, I would say your level of ego is directly proportional or even measured by 
the degree to which you take yourself seriously. Now, that doesn't mean you don't live a serious life. I take life quite seriously. I take my responsibility seriously. I take my role as a father quite serious. That doesn't mean, oh, well, woo, woo, woo. I'm not going to do anything but lay around all day like some kind of cult person. But it means that me and how I engage with the world is like less serious. So if you shoved me when I was 18 or 19, we were going to fight. Well, I mean, when I was 30, I got in a fight in my 30s, if you can believe that or believe that or not. Like a pretty, you know, gruesome one. And, you know, because the guy, you know, he wanted some and he made the move and stuff happens. Well, that's because I took myself seriously. Oh, you invaded my space. Oh, you didn't take me as seriously as I did. Because that's fundamentally, isn't that when, when we get butt hurt the most, right? When we cry the most. I'm a very important person. I'm very serious. You're not engaging with me with the level of deference that you should. Right? That's when our ego gets hurt. Then, of course, the flip side, though, is where I say I do take life seriously and my role seriously is that there are people who engage with me, and this is why I block so many people on Twitter and block people from my life. There are people who engage with me in a way that shows that they don't take the relationship seriously and that they don't take themselves seriously enough. They'll, they're a frivolous person. And the plant medicine doesn't mean you're not a frivolous person. The f plant medicine doesn't mean nothing matters. Nothing matters. Your ego is dissolved. You are just the same as the couch you are living in. You should just be frivolous. It's the opposite. The message from the plant medicine is that in terms of God, we are not God. But in terms of the gift that we are being given, this was a remarkable gift, and you should take your life seriously. But that doesn't mean you take yourself seriously and look for offense and look for, uh, you know, I got to clap back at that person. I got to really hit back. I can't walk away from this situation. These are all messages that you learn, lessons that you learn. You work on them as you grow because then you come back into this world. You can do ayahuasca, have a breakthrough. And then if you don't do the work in a month, it's more or less gone. If you don't do the integration, it's more or less gone. That's one of the other... The beauty of ayahuasca is that the fear people have going in, and I feel the fear every time I drink the tea. Anybody who tells you they don't feel the fear is, I don't think, being honest, or they're, they're maybe on a different level than most. But the fear is like, I call it like the leg day. If you said, you showed up to the gym with me, on a Saturday morning, what are we training? We're training legs. No one, no one is saying, heck yeah. You're thinking, oh my God, leg day? All right, let's do it. That doesn't mean you're not hyped. It doesn't mean you're not going to give it your all. It doesn't mean you're not ready to go. But there's a sense of fear, a sense of dread, a sense of, ugh. And then you push through that. The, the T is the same way, where... The moment I drink the tea, or even as I'm about to, I think, why? Are, that's why I know that I need to do more work on myself. Is because, and that's why I know that the tea is godly. Where people, demons, the demons are already in your mind, and they're the ones who are steering you in a bad direction. Read the screw tape letters. The demons are all around us. The demons don't want people doing the plant medicine because that's when you believe in God. I didn't believe in God before ayahuasca. I tried to. I would pray. I would try to believe in God. But on ayahuasca, I've met God. So to me, if you tell me, oh, that's just your imagination, you're some like Reddit reply guy, 
I'm, I don't even care to argue. I'm not even going to argue. Because whenever I mention God, people try to argue with me. I don't care, man. I don't care what you believe. But you're wrong. But I'm not. it's not my job to prove that, that you're wrong. Which again goes to ego and how the the gift of the medicine and the gift I'm working on your ego is, hey, it's, it's not your job to cure the world, man. Heal yourself. Heal the people around you who want healed. People ask me, and they've always asked me from Gorilla Mindset, you know, old days, the blogging days, how do I change all these people in my life? And I say, brother, how are you? How about you change yourself, right? How hard is it to change yourself? If you can barely change yourself, how are you going to change the world? Well, that's ego. The ego that you're some savior, some hero to everyone in your life when you're probably just ignore, ignore, uh, not ignoring them, annoying them. And you don't even realize it. You're just annoying people. And you don't even re- – because that's that childhood ego. That's the inner child in you that hasn't integrated fully as a man running around telling people how to live their lives. And they're probably looking at you thinking, you? You're telling me how to live my life, dude? You're out of your mind? You're going to tell me something? But they're not going to say that to you because they don't want to hurt you. And then you're coming to me saying, oh, I'm trying to change everybody they don't want to change. That, again, is your ego. It's not my job to convince people that God exists. It's not my job to convince people that you will be held to account, and that means me. We will all be held to account on a judgment day. That is 100% true. There's no denying it. We will be held to account. Mike, that's not true. I read on the Internet, I read on Reddit, that we don't even have free will. Okay, great. Good for you, man. It's not my job to make everyone believe what I believe, and that's where... The work on your ego has been freeing for me. It's a, it's a relief in many ways to not have that burden of thinking this guy is wrong. There was there was a comic, for example, XCCD or something. You would recognize the meme where the girlfriend is saying to the boyfriend, hey, are you coming to bed? And the boyfriend's saying, no, there's someone wrong on the internet. And it shows them at a computer. That was very much me arguing with people. I think back, what were you doing arguing with people on the internet? What was wrong with you? Well, that was me. I need to show people how smart I am. I need to show people how much of an effective writer I am. I need to win the crowd over to me. I need to be right. And now now I look back and think, what a child you were. And I was in my 30s. What a child you were even when you're 30s. Those are, again, some of the messages that you get from plant medicine. And by the way, we're, you know, we're, we're running a little bit long in this podcast, so I'll, I'll close things out. What I've talked about, 1% of what I've seen in ayahuasca. I'm not even, I'm not even taking the, the Russian dolls out. So that was just the first of the biggest Russian doll. That's how much we get out of plant medicine. That's why I mention it quite often. Well, not quite often. I, I talk about other things more often, but what I just mentioned in this podcast, which I think was pretty expansive, not even 1% of what I've experienced and what I'm going to experience. Now, am I telling you to do ayahuasca? Nope. Quite the opposite. People go, Mike, should I do the medicine? The medicine will find you when you are ready. The medicine found me. The medicine found me through Nick in 2011 when I was bedridden. Oh, what if I hadn't been bedridden when I've ever found ayahuasca? So maybe being bedridden was a gift from God. Maybe that was part of the plan. Maybe that was part of the universe is that I had to be humbled in order to find the medicine. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I would have found it another way. Who knows? We don't know. That's another <laughs> That's another lesson you'll, or another paradox you'll also start to 
become comfortable with this. You know, but you don't know. You you know more, but you talk less. That's why I, I've, I used to talk all the time. But that was more ego. Now I feel like, I don't feel like it. I know on a profound level that I know more and have more worldly and spiritual wisdom than I've ever had. And I want to talk less. Why do I want to talk? Because I have less ego. I have less of a desire for people to think that what I'm doing is right. I have less of a desire for people to believe in me. I have less of a, a desire for people to praise me. I have no desire for people who hate me. So I have all these new lessons from the universe, from God, from this world. And then I think, why even say it? Right? But then that's when the medicine brings me back up and says, you know, just share your message. People will hear it or they won't hear it. Your job isn't to argue with people about the plant medicine. Your job isn't to tell people to do it. It's the opposite. Your job is to tell people the truth, which is the medicine will find you if and when you're ready. That might never happen because you might not be ready at the time. The medicine found me at just the right time. It's been a beautiful experience. I'm happy to share it with you. I'm happy to share more about the medicine. And I will be as we're going on because like I said, we're not even we're not even deep. This wasn't even a deep podcast. Even though I would say objectively speaking, we went places a lot of people don't go. But even then we're not even not even pulled back more than one or two layers. Thanks for listening, Mike Cernovich. R O K F I N dot com rockfin.com forward slash Cernovich. Hit the endorse button. Subscribe. R-O-K-F-I-N dot com forward slash Cernovich.